This is an amazing place in Scripture, and I'm going to get to it in a minute. This place in Scripture has taken me to the woodshed like a few places I've been uh, as I've walked with the Lord. Uh, I have found that the book of Romans has, has been amazing for me. I don't know it was, if it was because we were in the book of Revelation and we went from that into this. I'm not sure, except that I find that this book has moved me more than almost anything that I've ever been as, as, as a Christian. And it is, um, and it is this place that, that is, I think, relevant. It is, it is so current with us as believers to where we are. Let me explain. We started off by Paul introducing himself to all of us, and them in Rome. And then we, we talked about Paul is going to divide the people into four groups. He, he divided the group into those who just reject God, have no, have no care for Him. He says that you're without excuse, though, those that f- feel that way, that, that God is going to hold them accountable anyways, because even though they say He's not there, He's made Himself clear to them. They've, they are without excuse. Then he started talking to those who are kind of the self-righteous people. Those that, that think they're better than most and they, they, they believe they have the truth. Paul says, no you don't. They believe that they have done enough to work their ways to heaven. No, he says, you haven't. But now he comes to the Jewish people. He comes to those, if you look with me, in chapter 2 of Romans, and I, I want to say something about Patriarch's Day. Um, in a moment. But since I've started, let me just walk on this little journey. He says, if you bear the name of Jew, in verse 17, chapter 2, and you boast in God, he says, you say that you know His will, you approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law, and you're confident, confident that you are a guide to the blind and light to those who are in darkness. He speaks to these people, I say, as if he's speaking to us, the church today. Those who come to church. And he's trying to move us into this, from this place of complacency into this place where we want to just serve and walk with the Lord. This is a remarkable place in the Word of God. I pray that the, the Lord will allow me to do it justice. Let me now say that this Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, is going to be September the 11th. It is going to be the 11th anniversary. Isn't that amazing? The 11th anniversary of when those dirty, rotten people flew those planes into that building. I bet many of us can remember where we were on that day, what we were doing, what you might have been thinking. I, I remember listening to it on the radio and then thinking, oh my goodness, it, it might be on television. And I turned the television on with just enough time to see one of those planes, the second plane, fly into the building. Um, it was a very, very difficult time for me as a, as a human being. Um, when you watched it that day live, 
people jumping out of windows. It's just something that's hard to imagine. I believe it was an act that will forever change us as a people, as a nation. For those who have someone that perhaps you knew that was in that building uh, or on those planes, if you have someone, we want to pray with you right now. But I'd also like to just take a moment and think about that day. Think about that morning when men and women got up, had to hurry to work, perhaps uh, didn't really kiss their wife or their husband goodbye like they normally do, really lay one on them, you know. But maybe I just on the way out just said, uh, see you later, tell the kids I love them, or maybe not even that. Maybe just left to go to work. I can only imagine what the people feel like who, who then saw those buildings inflamed and wonder, is my loved one there? And so what I'd like to do with you is to take a moment to pray together. Remember those who suffered the loss of a loved one on that day, or especially remember, too, the, those that, that, that are called the first responders, the, those firemen, those police officers, the, the people who serve in our community, who, who when I was watching on television, when everybody was running away from those buildings, there they were running towards them. And I thought to myself, I, I don't think I had that kind of courage. I don't know that I could do that job. The first responders who selflessly care for us. That's why I'm, whenever I see police officers and it's appropriate or a firefighter, I always tell them how much I love them. In fact, I, this is just a throw-in, but I, I think we ought to start having a breakfast for firemen that are in this community and the policemen that are in this community to, to thank them for, for who they are and just let them know that this church cares about them. And so if you are a first responder, if you are one of those people who either you volunteered or you, you actively work or you, or, or, you, or you retired and you did that before, a fireman, a, a policeman, a first responder, I, we want to thank you. The first service I had all the people that do that stand up and only one gentleman stood up and if I was him I would have been so embarrassed you know and so I, I'm not doing it this service for that very reason because I would, I've been wrestling myself should I stand up I am that person I'm in church I ought to not lie you know all of those things you know <laughs> and um, and I just if I don't know if I'm if you're like me at all but I I know it doesn't seem like it but I, I am, I'm I like being in the background. I don't like being up front. Isn't that weird? I, I, and, it, and, uh, and here I am. But if you are one of those people, we want to thank you. If you have a loved one, we want to thank you. Uh, and we want to pray that God will really comfort you as only he can. For those of you who selflessly serve in our communities during difficult times and you know, so for those of you that have a loved one that's a police officer or a fire, firefighter, uh, you know, 
you know, you kiss them goodbye in the morning and you, you know, you wonder um, how safe will they be. And so I would appreciate it if you would join me in prayer. Father, we want to pray for the families who lost loved ones on September the 11th, the year 2001. Pray that they would find comfort from you you would comfort them as they remember their loved ones on this coming Tuesday and I'm sure all year round. I also want to pray, Father, with us, the first responders, those who selflessly serve in our community, who, when everyone else is running away from trouble, they are the ones who are just running right towards it, head on. Protect them. Give them safety. May we as a community honor them as they ought to be honored. I pray you would strengthen them to serve in the difficult times that lie ahead of them. And I also pray that you would care for their families who support them at home, their their wives, their husbands, their children, parents, grandparents. Lord God, uh, while we're thinking of it, God bless the United States of America. I think you're, I think, I know you're fully aware of what we're going through, Father. Um, These are very difficult times. Now, Father, we want to give you thanks for all that you are. You are a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful and gracious God. We thank you that we can come to you in prayer. We thank you that you hear us, Father. And we thank you that we can trust you, that you will do what is best. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let me just backtrack just for a moment, just for last week's sake, please. In Romans Chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. We learned last week in verses 9 and forward that there was going to be tribulation. There will be distress for every soul who does evil, if you remember. It also said in verse 10 that there will be honor and glory and peace to everyone who does good. God tells us that this will happen to both, the Jew first as well as to the Greek or the Gentile. The reason being, he says in verse 11, there's no partiality with him. He is fair to all people who will come before his judgment seat. Now, for those of you who do not know his son, Jesus Christ, the word fair there is misleading. He he will judge you. He will. And judge you he will because we learn that everyone, every soul will come before his throne. There is no exception. God clearly states, as as we saw in chapter 2, verse 12, all who have sinned without the law are going to perish without the law. And and all who have sinned under the law, he says, will be judged by the law. And then this wonderful verse that we read last week, in verse 13, it's not the hearers of the law who are going to be just before God. It is the doers, the doers of the law. They will be justified I believe our Lord had this very 
place in Scripture in mind when he preached in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27, by saying, remember, he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them, in other words, puts them into motion in their life, that person, he says, will be compared to a wise person who has built their, their house upon the rock. He's, he gives an example. He says, rains will come, floods will come, the winds will blow. They will slam against this house, and yet it will not fall. Because it's been founded upon the rock, he says. And then he says in verses 26 and 27, the opposite. Everyone who hears these words of mine, same statement, but does not act upon them. He says, we'll be like a foolish person who who builds his house upon the sand. And then again, the rains come, the floods come, the winds blow, they slam against the, hall, the house, and the Lord says, and it will fall, and he says, and it will be great. Great will be its fall. And we also learn that God's judgment is going to be thorough. By that, he says he will judge, as it says back in in, in Romans 2, verse 16, he, he will judge the secrets of our hearts through Jesus Christ. And as I said last week, that alone should cause everyone who doesn't know the Lord to flee to Jesus Christ for salvation and to separate our sins from us, as it says in Psalms 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west. And as it says in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 17, and he will then remember our sins no more. That's the place that we pray for every single soul that walks into this place. That's why we won't compromise on the Word of God. We want to remind people that they must make a decision for Christ and live for Him, with Him, in obedience to Him. Which takes us to today's message. Read with me, please. Romans chapter 2, verses 17 to verse 24. He says, But if you bear the name Jew, and you rely upon the law and boast in God, and know His will and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one should not steal, do you steal? You say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, through your breaking of the law, do you dishonor God? Verse 24, For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. I've thought about these verses a lot this week. thought about how 
how much I want to please the Lord and how I would rather not do anything else on this earth than but to blaspheme his name, to make others think less of my God because of my life. I thought about that a lot this week. And so I've already preached this once. And I told the people in the first service, they're very welcome to listen in, and you are too, if you would want to watch the Lord just beat me up here for a while. And may He do with you as, as He wishes. It is my prayer that you will ask God to, to touch your heart. Let me pray for that right now, if you don't mind. Father, would you please open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful And Father, would you teach us out of this place in Scripture where you are talking to those who bear the name of Jew, that we would not say, well, good, that's not about us, when in fact, Father, I believe, I believe it has everything to do with us. And so I pray, Father, with all of my heart that you would move me aside. Not so, not so that I will not hear with what you're saying and not so that it will not touch me in such a fashion that I will want to repent from any and all wrong that I do. No, I don't want to be moved that way. I just want to be not in the way with what you want to do with every person that is here. I pray that you would touch each heart that you desire to touch. And so, Father, I leave this to you. I only ask that you will bless us. More importantly, I ask, Father, that we will bless you in return. I pray this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. What Paul is going to talk to you and me about in these few verses is about the trouble with churches having traditions and and heritage and, and hypocrisy. Paul wanted to take away the false sense of security that the Jews had due to their heritage. But if you pay close attention to verses 17 to 24, it's an indictment towards all, all who feel they have some so-called rights because of their upbringing or because of their religion or because of their denomination or their church attendance or because of some good things, good works that they have done, and on and on and on. Paul is zeroing in on the hypocrisy of some where they condemn others for the very things that they do themselves. This is how Paul began this chapter. Chapter 2, verse 1, he began it by saying, Therefore, to those who are the self-righteous people, he said, You have no excuse. Every one of you who passes judgment for that in which you judge another, you're condemning yourself. For you who judge... You practice the same things. Paul was directing his comments specifically to the Jewish nation in verses 17 to 24. But I come to you and me today, and I say this falls, this indictment falls upon us just as heavily as it would them. I will show you how. In verses 19 and 20, the Jews pride themselves on being 19 confident that they were a guide to the blind. 
Verse 19, they were confident that they were a light to those who were in darkness. Verse 20, they believed that they were correctors of the foolish. They were teachers of the immature because they had the law, and the law was the embodiment of knowledge and truth. But what about us? What about us as Christians? How do we measure out against this warning? Don't we have the same blessings? Don't we have the same calling upon our lives? Their confidence in who they were as a heritage caused them, as seen in verses 17 and 18, to boast upon their relationship with God because they relied upon the law, saying they knew the will of God because they were instructed out of the law. But Jesus warns them just as strongly as he warns us. Be careful. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 24 through 28, Jesus Christ is speaking to the multitudes of people who were following him and his disciples, but he was zeroing in on the self righteous religious Jewish person, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. And listen to his tone. I'll try not to, 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 to read into it what I think he would sound like, but listen to his tone. He starts in verse 24 by saying, You blind guides. You know, everybody says Jesus is so loving. You know, the, the people that he was, he was trying to reach, and I believe that's everybody, he never spoke to them carefully. Oh, that's not a great statement. I, I think he, he chose every word carefully. But he never spoke to them in such a fashion that he was afraid that he might, not, he might hurt them. You blind guides, he's saying to them. You strain out a gnat, and yet you swallow a camel. <laughs> yeah, good. I'm, I think you're getting it. I would have, wouldn't you have loved to have heard this if you were there and saved? I mean, I would have loved to have been saved and listening to this and watching the reaction of those around him. You see, they hated his guts, obviously. They took him to the, the place of death. They took him to the cross. And so he says to them in verse 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup of the dish, but inside you are full of robbery and self-indulgence. Remember we just read in verse 16 that Jesus says, I'm going to judge your heart, the secret of your heart. Look what he does. He says outside everything's fine, but inside you're a robber and you are a self-indulgent person. And I bet some of them said, not me. And I hope some of them said, how does he know me so well? Outwardly they appeared okay, but inwardly not so good. And that's the theme of this. Look at verse 26. He says, you blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish so that the outside may become clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You're like a whitewashed tomb 
On the outside, you appear beautiful, but inside, you're full of dead man's bones and all uncleanliness. Verse 28, you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly, 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 you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. I told you the Lord took me to the woodshed this week. What about my heart? Got to that place where it was in deep within me. What about my heart? Kind of a Christian man, really, am I? Of course, we see our Lord's theme in reading this. It's, it's, nothing good can come from within us. Nothing. Until we clean ourselves from the inside out. And no one, nobody can do that for you except Jesus Christ. That's the truth of the gospel. In 1 John 1, 9, one of my favorite places in Scriptures, there are two parts to that, this place in Scripture. There's our part and His part. Our part is if we confess our sin. That's our part. And then He takes over. If we do that, He says, He will be faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah is right. If you want to shout out, you shout out. In verse 19, back in Romans chapter 2, as for uh, the light and the darkness, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 16, concerning us as believers, you're a light to this world. You're a city set on the hill, cannot be hidden. Verse 15, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. But he puts it on the lampstand, gives it light to all who are in the house. And then he says in verse 16, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You want to know, look, at when you read stuff like that, don't think so much about the light, the darkness and all of that. Think about what is the purpose of us being the light in this world. And the purpose of us is that we would glorify our Father who is in heaven so that when people see us do the good things before God, they would glorify God for our lifestyle. That's your purpose. That's, that's the reason you and I draw breath, to glorify God in and through our lives. And so what we read back in Romans chapter 2, verses 17 to 24, is the Jews possessed the truth, but so do we. The Jews had the law of God, so do we. In our Bibles. And what they had was so rich and magnificent that it transcended the greatest insight, the greatest wisdom of any age, of any people. Moses, Jeremiah, David, Abraham, New Testament, John, Paul, Peter, and on and on and on had more wisdom than all of the most learned secular minds in this world. Not because they, they had a better mind or were more acute thinkers, no, but because by the grace of an almighty God, they'd received God's holy truth and wisdom, and God gave His revealed truth and wisdom to them, and I might add, to us as well. We have it. We just got to get to know it. So, 
with that in mind. Verse 21 in Romans 2, How is it possible that in possessing the riches of godly wisdom and truth, they failed to teach themselves? Paul says, you preach that you shouldn't steal. Yet, do you steal? You see, their preaching came from the right doctrine, but their lives did not live out this right practice. They weren't living like they ought. The psalmist, let me just, let me just read this to you. Don't need to turn because by the time I, you get there, I'll probably be gone. But it's Psalms 50, 5, 0, 16 and 17, if you want to look. It lets us know what the problem is. Listen. To the wicked, God says, What right have you to tell of my statutes and take my covenant in your mouth? Listen, verse 17. For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. In other words, you pay no mind to his words. You are not obedient. You are disobedient, he says. And so with that, Paul mentions three areas of moral hypocrisy. In verses 21 and 22 of Romans chapter 2, he mentions you steal, you commit adultery, and you idol worship. Let's take a look at these three. We've talked about them, each of them individually. Let's clump them together and talk about them tonight, briefly. In Malachi, God accuses people of robbing or stealing from God. How? Well, I told you a, a few months ago in, in tears about giving unto the Lord. They robbed and stealed from God by withholding their tithes and their offerings that they ought to give to God. Malachi 3.8 says this about stealing. God asks the question, Will a man rob God? In other words, will a man steal from God? And they answered, and he says, excuse me, yet you are robbing me. But they answered and say, how have we robbed you? How have we stolen from you, Lord? He says, through your, tithe, your tithes and your offerings. In other words, they hadn't been giving. By not faithfully giving back to God a portion of what he has so graciously given to you, he tells you and me that we are robbing, we are stealing from Him. How are we stealing from Him? Well, it's the whole principle of the cycle of giving that I've taught you often here. God, in His wonderful grace, gives a, a, whatever He gives to you. And when He gives it to you, He expects you to take a portion of that and give it back to Him. Whatever portion you can trust Him with. And when he takes what you've given back to him, he then in return gives back to you. And you take that portion and you give it back to him. And then he takes that and he gives more to you. And, and because we, maybe now we're in difficult times, now we're going through some uh, tough, tough times, we decide, I, I can't give to him like I used to. Really? He gave to you. He expects a portion back to him. Or he says, you are stealing from me. It's the whole idea of the cycle of giving. We'll talk more about that in a moment. He says, 22, you also commit adultery. Now, 
this can either be the actual act of divorcing someone for no valid reason. Matthew 19.9 says, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality. Or those of us men who, who look upon a woman with lusts in our heart for her. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in chapter 5, verse 28, I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust in her in, lust for her already has committed adultery with her. It's a hard standard he places before us. And lastly, in verse 22, he talks robbing temples. Well, let me talk to you first about idol worship. Boil it down to the very purest of what idol worship is. There are all kinds of idols in this world in which we live today. You might say, what do you that? I, I'll tell you what an idol is. An idol is basically whatever fills your heart in that place where Jesus Christ ought to be. It is whatever it is that you do that moves him out of first place into whatever other place you put him. Whatever does that is an idol. The Lord says to you and me clearly, he is our first love. He ought to be first in everything and all that you do. Okay, then how do we rob temples today? Well, as noted above, talking about what he said in Malachi, some have robbed God with holding, withholding part of their tithes and their offerings. But I want to tell you something that I think is far worse. Far worse than that. Others have robbed God more subtly. You might ask how? By not giving back to Him in service the most precious gift that you've ever, ever received apart from your salvation. And that is His spiritual gift that He gave to every one of us who have ever asked Him to come into our hearts. He has given to every single believer upon salvation a spiritual gift that He expects us to use. How often does He want us to use it? Every day. Forever and ever. It's like I told the people in the first service, it was like I, I went to, uh, a, a, a long time ago, my wife and I went and I spoke at a place up in... Um, I, it's too long a story to tell you how they asked me to come up, but it was a little burg of a town, Lone Creekers. I, I don't even remember the name of it. And we stayed with this, this young man and his wife and their kids, and he was, a, he was a farmer. He had cattle. So I stayed there, and he woke me up. Holy cow, he woke me up first thing in the morning. I mean, it was not even close to light outside. He says, come on, help me do some work today. I said, okay. We went out and started to take care of, we did something with the cows, fed them. 
I cleaned out a part of the barn. We did this and that and the other. And before I knew it, the, the sun started to come up. He said, hey, let's go back. It's time to eat. He said, my wife has fixed us breakfast. We went back and had breakfast. And I'm telling you, I've never seen so much meat on the table and grits on the table. and Not grits. Uh, and gravy and you name it. It was, it was a meal. And I ate like a horse because I had never worked that hard in my life. And when we got through eating, he said, let's go. There's more to do. Those cows don't know it's Saturday. They don't know it's Christmas. They don't know it's Easter. They don't know. They need to be cared for. And I say to you, the spiritual gift that you have, it doesn't know Easter. It doesn't know Christmas. It doesn't know whether it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. You and I are to serve Lord all the days of our life with that spiritual gift that he's given you. And not to do it is to rob given to you a spiritual gift that he has entrusted you with. And some of us treat it like it's we just lay it aside and it's there dormant. It's not doing anything, and neither are we. We rob God. We rob his temple. We rob his people. Listen, there's no reason here at this church that we should ever have to beg for anyone to help Alma with the kids. There's plenty of help. There's plenty of of us to do the work. There's never a time that we would ever have to, should have to ever ask you to give so that we have enough finances to do whatever it is that we want to do. There's plenty of finances in our church that we should get things done. There's never a time in this church that we shouldn't have to ask you or beg of you to do anything. There should be so many of us wanting and willing to use our spiritual gift that, the, that we'd have to kind of ask people, please, not right now, we'll use you next month. We've got plenty right now. Paul told the folks in Rome, chapter 1, verse 11 of, of Romans, I long to see you, he said, so that I might impart some spiritual gift to you so that you may be established. That's talking about the church, establishing the church through the spiritual gifts. Remember we said last week in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, for by grace you and I have been saved through faith. And that's not of ourselves; it's a gift from God. It's not a result of works so that none of us should boast. And then verse 10, verse 10, which is the greatest of the verses in that whole setting, says we are God's workmanship, you and I. We have been created in Jesus Christ for good works, which God has prepared beforehand so that you and I could just simply walk in them. We rob God. We rob His temple when we don't serve Him as we ought. So Paul asks back in Romans 2, verses 23 and 24, a rhetorical question. Because the answer is sadly given in verse 24. In verse 23, he says, You who boast in the law, through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? And that is an automatic answer, yes. Which leads Paul to write a very painful statement that should cause every Christian who is not 
serving the Lord, not studying His Word, not giving unto the Lord, not serving the Lord, I already said serving, not growing in your knowledge and wisdom, not having a, a, a small group Bible study so that we can grow during the week. It ought to cause every single one of us to hang our head in shame. As Paul says in verse 24, the name of God is blaspheme among the Gentiles because of you. You see, instead of leading the Gentiles to trust in the one true God and to become obedient to His will, the Jewish leaders engulfed converts with vast rabbinical system, man-made legalistic traditions that weighed people down to which led Jesus Christ to say to them, in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 15, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, because you travel around on the sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. You don't think he rattled their cards? Twice as much son of hell as you. I don't think those guys wanted to hear that. You see, it's extremely important what we teach here in this church. It's extremely important that we teach those who come into our four walls, whether they be young people or adults, God's Word. We're not to just give our philosophy of life or or to make them happy on their way to hell. We're to tell them about Jesus Christ. Tell them the hard truth all the time. You see, the Jews had long lost their sight of purpose. Have we? They've long lost their unique divine calling. Have we? They long lost that God-given privilege that God gave to Abraham, which was to be the channel through which, as it says in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, all the families of the earth shall be blessed through you. Yet they had no desire to share their God-given blessings. Not, not to the rest of the world, for sure not to the Gentiles. You think not? I can only remind you of one guy, Jonah. Jonah was told to go to Nineveh. I want you to listen to Jonah's word. Listen to how he talks to God about not going to Nineveh. It's, it's, it's classic. It's classic. J- Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. Jonah prayed to the Lord and said to the Lord, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall going to Nineveh, I fled to Tarsus. You know what happened to him on his way to Tarsus, don't you? Yeah, yeah, he, they threw him off the boat. A big fish ate him, or swallowed him at least, and then spit him up. Of all places, where? Oh, yeah, Nineveh. He says, listen, Jonah says this to the Lord. I knew that you were gracious. I knew that you were a compassionate God. I knew that you were slow to anger and abundant in your loving kindness and one who relents concerning calamity. Jonah was reluctant to go to Nineveh because he feared that 
they, the Ninevites, would end up believing in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God would then spare them His judgment. And that's exactly what He did. Jonah did not want to go because they were Gentiles. And he didn't want to have anything to do with them. Sadly, this typifies the attitude of many a Jew towards the Gentile world. Therefore, verse 24 hits heavy upon everyone's heart. It should. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. I'll tell you a story that won't take long. I've told this before. I think it bears. For many years, my wife and I were in ministry with professional athletes and their wives. We had a chapel service going that was just going busters in the locker room and we were guys were coming to Christ. There was a ball player or two that came to our chapels that um, I would come through the locker room and every once in a while I would hear them cursing and telling ranked jokes and I'd heard from some of the other guys they ran around on their way. I called one of them aside one day and I I said, he said, yeah, and I said, thanks. He said, what's up? I said, well, I have a favor to ask of you. He said, sure, anything you want. I said, would you stop coming to chapel? He thought I was kidding. He laughed, and he said, I know. I said, I'm dead serious. I don't want you in that room anymore. He said, why? He said, because you're causing the team to blaspheme my God by your language and the way you've lived your life. I've heard. It's one of the hardest things I did. I didn't know whether I was going to get into a fist fight. I'd been in the locker rooms most of my life. I knew what it's like down there. Sometimes you say the wrong thing to the wrong guy. You never know what might happen. But God was very gracious. This story has a good ending. This guy wept with me and asked for forgiveness. And he said, I don't want to stop coming to chapel. And I said, then you better straighten out your life. I said, I don't think you're perfect. I'm not perfect, but not the way you're living. You're turning other guys off that, that might get an opportunity to hear about our Savior, and they won't come because they mock our Savior because of the way you live. That's exactly what Paul is saying to these people, the Jews, that the name of God is being blasphemed because of you, the way you're living. Have you ever asked someone why they stopped going to church? I hear that there are some that have stopped. Have you ever asked some people why they've stopped loving God? Have you ever asked someone why they never stepped foot in a church in the first place? Almost always the answer is basically the same. It's that they've been hurt or offended by someone who said that they were a Christian, causing them to say that the church is filled with nothing but hypocrites, to which I say, amen, that's true. We are. We're guilty as charged. But sadly, people inside the church, as well as outside, Expect those of us who come to church to be perfect. 
Ain't going to happen. That's why we need a Savior. The one absolute prerequisite of joining a church is the same for one and all. I'm talking about a true church. And that is for that person to admit that they're not perfect and that they are in desperate need of a Savior. You see, the Christian church, the true Christian church, is the only organization I know of which demands that the person acknowledge that they are a sinner in order to join it. Nobody else does that. Not to come to church, that's for open for any and everybody all the time. But to be a part of the church, to join the church, we ask people to profess a faith in Jesus Christ. So it shouldn't surprise anybody to see sinners in church. We're here, aren't we? <laughs> I mean, this, this is it. What ought to surprise us, though, is this. It ought to surprise us when we see a true Christian, a true follower of Jesus Christ, refuse to repent and refuse to forgive a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ. It is the death of a church. And that's what Paul is trying to say to these people in Rome. He says, you're hypocrites. Your heritage doesn't save you. It's your faith in Christ that saves you. And I say the same to you tonight. I say to you, I love you with all my heart. I can't love you any more than I do. I, I, I'm going to try. I promise you, I'm going to try. But this week, and I'm not... Uh, this week has been a tough week. In many levels. If ever this nation, the United States of America, needs believers in Jesus Christ, by God, it is now. I didn't say this in the first service. I'm, I'm going to say it right now. I probably shouldn't. But I saw something on television I couldn't believe. With my, my heart, I couldn't believe. I saw a vote for whether they, they were going to put, put God in, in, a, in a, a thing and, 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 and that Jerusalem would be a capital. And I saw people vote no. No to God. And then I saw a person lie right in front of the whole congregation of people there saying, I need a two-third vote, and said he got it. And anybody that had an ear knew that he didn't get it. Flat lied to us as a people. Looked us in the eyes and lied. If ever we need a nation right now that loves God, it's, it's right now. So, if you listened in, you got to hear what God did to me this week. He beat me up, boy. And I needed it. I needed it desperately. Told the people in the first service, I'll tell you, terrible story. It's terrible. I was driving to church last week. 
got caught behind this lady that wanted to make a left turn, and she wouldn't make a left turn, and I was caught, and I would beep my horn, move, move, move. Don't you know who I am? Move. She wouldn't move, and I finally got around her to crawl alongside of her. Instead of saying, are you okay? Is anything wrong? I said, are you an idiot? And I th <laughs> It's true. I did say that. And immediately I was convicted. And I thought to myself, what kind of a man am I? There's only one thing I wish is I knew who she is so that I could go to her house and ask her for forgiveness. Problem is, she was fairly young and she might have a husband that's like this and he might say, you called my wife, what? Boom. Um, the Lord beat me up this week. I needed it. I pray that this message meant as much to you as it meant to me. Our church needs people who understand what it means to really walk with the Lord, to serve Him, to give to Him, who really mean business. I believe with all my heart it's you. I do. You and the people in the first service and you and the people who will come tomorrow night at 6. I believe it's us. I don't know what the Lord's doing with us, but I believe, I believe it's going to be great. I just, I'm just growing impatient. And that's another one of my problems that I had to deal with. The Lord had to deal with me this week. So let me just say to you right now, I love you with all my heart. I do. I love you with all my heart. And I thank you for listening in. Father in heaven above, I ask your forgiveness for the type of man I sometimes am. And I ask, Father God, that you would make me into the man you want me to be. And I'm sorry that it's taken so, time, so much time sometimes. Lord, bless us all, please. Help us to, to comprehend the very essence of who we are, the privilege that we have knowing you, having your wisdom, your knowledge. And some of us are just throwing it away. Please let that not be. Please let that not be, I pray, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I love you all with all my heart. Have yourselves a wonderful evening. Be careful. Drive home safely. You never know. I might be on the road behind you. <laughs> Have a great day. God.